This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Well, good morning. We greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is good to be with you here today. It's good to be back with you. Some of you know I was not here last Sunday because I was um, getting over pneumonia, and so I'm doing fine now. Um, I do have a little bit of a lingering cough. I made it through the first service without coughing at all, so hopefully that will happen, happen again. But don't worry, I've been totally medically cleared. Uh, I'm not contagious at all. It was actually a bacterial infection in my lungs, and so um, praise God for antibiotics and doctors who know how to treat things well, so very grateful for that. I missed church last Sunday, but I am grateful that last Sunday night I was able to get out to what we called a family fun night. Um, if you didn't come out to that, let me just describe what happened. We took over uh, Dickinson Square Park, which is where we're going to have our church picnic uh, today. We took over that park, and we had our different small groups each come up with a carnival game. And so we had a bunch of different booths, and the kids were coming, and they were just playing these games. We gave them prizes. We had free food, water ice, and soft pretzel, and drinks, and all kinds of things. Then at uh, 8 o'clock, we started a movie, and we had a huge blow-up screen and got to watch a movie. And throughout the night, I was just in many places and times feeling very emotional. Um, because one of the things I've always loved about our neighborhood is the sense of community that we have. I mean, people love each other. People love being together. And, you know, ever since COVID, it's just been, it's been a ghost town. And it's been, it's been very, very sad to see. And so being able to take over the park, and if you came out, there were hundreds, I mean, not, no exaggeration, hundreds of families there. And it was just, it was a blessing to my soul to see so many people enjoying the goodness of our community and our church being able to put this on. I mean, I just had neighbor after neighbor after neighbor coming up and thanking us for doing this. And this is what we want to be as a church. As a church, we want to be known in our community for doing good in the name of Jesus. Whether people believe like we do or not, we want them to be grateful that we're here uh, so that hopefully our good deeds can give us an opportunity to share with them the good news of who Jesus is. And, and that's really been the testimony of this past week. I had one neighbor just stop me and say, hey, you need to know this was the highlight for my child this summer. Of all they did, this, this, was, this was their highlight. Um, someone stopped Pastor Matt, someone who lives actually on the park, and said, I just want you to know, we moved in here a couple years ago, and I don't know what our neighborhood would do without your church, you know, and what a blessing you are to us, and just how incredible is that. And I had someone else stop me and say, hey, I just want you to know, uh, I don't believe in Jesus at all, so I appreciate your honesty. Uh, I said, but you guys really make it hard to not want to believe, um, because there is something going on here. And again, that's why we do these things. We do these things, not so that we look like good people, we do these things so that we have opportunity to talk about the greatness of God. You know, we do these things to be able to share love so that we can talk about his love. And so by the grace of God, we have just a wonderful opportunity to do that this past Sunday. And it would not have been possible without many, many people working hard to make it possible. And so just love seeing so many different people scooping out the, the water ice and serving the pretzels and playing the games with the kids. And, man, it just I just saw what was going on. And I was like, I'm just so, in a godly way, I'm so proud of our church. I'm so proud of how you serve, and I'm so proud of how you sacrifice, and I'm so proud of how you love large. And by the grace of God, that's the reputation we have in our community. And I just give the Lord all the praise, all the praise for it. Um, 
I do want to just let you know, though, there was a couple people who really went even above and beyond, not just serving in the event, but even before the event to make it possible. And so I'm going to ask you in a moment to applause for these people, but let me first describe who they are. And so Peter Prey was on the point of doing all the food, and we gave out hundreds of pretzels, gallons of water ice, and he was on the point of all that, making them happen, working hard. Uh, Nicole Hopkins, if you saw the park, there was all kinds of decorations and balloons and flyers and streamers. She was really on the point of making all of that happen. And then I heard that Sarah Miner was just kind of everywhere doing everything like she always does and uh, just being a general gopher and it would not happen uh, apart from her and then there was a planning team that kind of made like you don't just show up and these things happen like it takes a lot of thought and intentionality and so Rose Wartman and Becca Nussbaum and Julie Mitaliano and Claire Bermudez led by Joe Cato really planned this whole thing and just made it uh, I think one of the best events our church has ever done and so can we just appreciate these folks and thank them so grateful for your hard work and all you guys do and let's just continue to pray that God would make us known as a church in our community for doing good in the name of Jesus. With that being said, please open to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I'm excited that next week we're going to be starting a new series that we're calling Sacred Rest, the Rhythm of Renewal. And I'm really excited about that series because I believe going into this fall, there's something significant God wants to do in the life of our church, about understanding what it means to be his church, particularly understanding what it is when God said that it's good for his church to be together, <laughs> as God has now rested on the seventh day, it's good to be, for the church to be together on the day of rest, what the Bible calls the Lord's Day. It's good for the church to be together because it gives us a regular rhythm of renewal. Um, this is not just a gathering. This is a sacred assembly where God meets us in unique ways. And so I'm excited to kind of get into that series and look at what God does as the church gathers together in his name. And I believe that as we get into that series, we're going to experience more of the spiritual rest that God wants us to have in Jesus. That will position us to be even more effective on the mission that God's given us in our city for the glory of Jesus. So I'm super excited about that series. But before we get into that series, today our pastoral team really had a burden to talk about decision-making. And that's something that is addressed throughout Proverbs, and we're going to be seeing that today in Proverbs chapter 3. We have a burden for this because we've had to make a lot of decisions this past year, haven't we? As individuals, we've had to make a lot of different decisions. And there's a lot more decisions that are in front of us. And God cares about the decisions that we make. Because the decisions that we make shape the people that we are. Like, we can talk about what we believe as much as we want, but it's really our decisions that show where our faith actually lies. So what does the Bible have to say about how we make decisions? Now, when I'm talking about decisions, I'm not talking about places where there are clear commands in Scripture. Like, we don't have to make a decision about whether we should obey God or not. We should just obey. That's what the Lord calls us to do. And so we don't have to make a decision about should we worship God. That's something God has called us to do. The only question is, are we going to be obedient or not? But we do have to make a decision about the church we decide to go to to worship. Right? God hasn't said you should go to this church. He said you should go to church to worship, but he hasn't said which one. And so we have to make decisions about that. We have to make decisions about all kinds of things. All things like where should I live? <laughs> What should I be doing in my career? Where should I go to school? 
How should I participate in social media? What conversations should I be part of? And what is just better left alone? Who should I vote for? How vocal should I be about who I vote for? What risks regarding COVID-19 are worth taking? And what precautions should be practiced? Well, there's so many decisions where God has not explicitly told us in the Bible, this is what you should do. But these decisions still have a profound impact on how we live and who we are. And so here's my question. How does being a Christian inform how we make these kinds of decisions? If we're followers of Jesus, then how does our identity in Christ affect, shape, and determine all the various kinds of decisions that we need to make in life? I hope we can answer that by the time we get to the end of this sermon. I've told this morning's sermon, no regrets, making decisions God's way. No regrets, making decisions God's way. And I truly believe that we can learn how to make decisions with no regrets. Notice I'm saying, I'm not saying no mistakes. We, we will make mistakes. But I believe we can actually make decisions in such a way that even if they end up being a mistake, we still don't have to carry regrets if we make them in a way that honors God. So let's turn our attention to God's word. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. This is the inspired word of God. Inerrant, infallible, sufficient, and authoritative. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Praise God for his holy word. May he bless the reading of it and now the preaching of it. Glory be to Christ. In these verses, I think we see God reframing for us how we think about our decisions. When we think about decision making, I think we often think about the end result, like this, the decision that ends up getting made. But notice this passage does not tell us what decision to make. It does not say, here's the clear direction for where you need to go. No, rather, it directs us not to what we should do, but rather how we should be positioned, how we should think, how we should process. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 7 basically says the same thing in a different way. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This passage, again and again, is directing us to God. We need to trust Him. We need to fear Him. Not fear in the sense of being afraid, but fear in the sense of having reverence, of, of being mindful of God. See, what this is showing us is that decision-making God's way starts not with deciding something, but instead orienting ourselves towards something. You see, God cares not just about the end product, not just the decision that we make, God cares about the process that we use to make that decision. Are our hearts oriented towards wanting to trust Him? Oriented towards wanting to make a decision in the fear of Him. In other words, as we make decisions, are we just thinking about the decision or are we thinking about honoring God in our hearts as we make the decision? God cares not just about the product, the, end de you know, the decision we make. He cares about the process we use to get there. And I think often we get this backwards. 
we obsess about making the right decision. Oh, no, I don't want to make a mistake. I want to make sure I do the right thing. I got to think through every angle. And, and we think just about the decision. But God focuses us here, not by saying, hey, make the right decisions. Make sure you never mess up. No, he focuses us here on making sure that we're honoring him. Making sure that we're fearing him. Making sure that we're trusting him in the process. You see, the process is what makes all the difference. I could take a screw and use a hammer to pound it into the wall. Or I could use a screwdriver. The end product will be the same. That screw will be in the wall. But the process to get it in there will make a big difference, won't it? See, here's why I think this, pro- this passage is showing us. Decision-making God's way means honoring God in the process of making a decision by taking the steps he has prescribed and then trusting him with the results. Decision-making God's way, and I think we have this coming up on the screen, but decision-making God's way means honoring God in the process of making a decision by taking the steps he has prescribed and then trusting him with the results. So what are the steps that God has prescribed for us when it comes to our decision-making process? We're going to see four things that God wants us to do. He wants us to pray. He wants us to read. He wants us to talk. And he wants us to trust. Let's look at each of these in their turn. First, step one, he wants us to pray. Verse 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge What does it mean to acknowledge God? What does it mean to acknowledge anyone? If someone walks into a room, what do we do? We acknowledge them by greeting them. We acknowledge them by talking to them. See, if we want to honor God in our decision-making process, then the first thing we should do is talk to Him. First thing we should do is pray. And this is first because prayer helps position our hearts. Prayer reminds us and orients us to the reality that our decisions are not about us, but rather what we do with our lives is meant to be about Him. Notice verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. You know what that means? That means that there is no decision that we make where God is not to be acknowledged. There's no part of our lives where God does not have purview or jurisdiction. There's nothing that we do where God does not want us to enjoy living with Him at the center of that place. See, God, God's, God's way is best, and God knows it. Jesus said He came so that our joy might be full. And so God wants us to seek Him in everything because He does not want us to miss out on anything that He has planned for us for our good. So the first thing we should always do when we are making a decision is to not just make a decision, but to ask God for direction for that decision. See, often I think we can make decisions, and then we just don't ask God, we check in with God. Hey, God, I made this decision. You're good with that, right? Like, we expect God to rubber stamp what we've already decided to do. We say we pray about it because, you know, we got to check that spiritual box, but that's all it is. We're just checking a box and still doing what we want. Listen, if prayer is only affirming what you already think you should do, then you probably aren't listening to God. 
God has more wisdom than we do. And so we should expect God to not always agree with us. If we think God is always agreeing with us, then it's not God we're listening to, but our own desires that we're being driven by. We should expect God to have more wisdom than us. And so when we ask him for his wisdom, we should expect him to say things to us that we would not naturally think ourselves. If prayer is not changing your minds, then you're probably not honestly engaging in prayer. Talking to God should change the decisions that we make. If you ever heard Angie and I talk about the process it took us to, to come here in Philly, one of the things you'll hear us say often is part of how we came to plant this church was how God spoke to Angie through prayer, changed our heart through it. See, for me, I was convinced this is where we should go. I was growing more in my conviction that more Christians need to be in the city because right now, more Christians are in the suburbs than in cities, but more people are in cities than in suburbs, and so that's a problem. So if you want to reach more people with the goodness of Jesus, we need to get more Christians where the people are. We need to get more Christians back into cities. And then I'm reading the New Testament. I'm seeing like, okay, yeah, this is pretty much what they did. The missionary priority was always urban centers in the New Testament. And so I'm growing in this conviction. And I go to Angie, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Hey, I think God wants us to go plant a church in the city. And she cries. <laughs> you know, and starts going down this long list of all the reasons about why that is a bad idea. What about our kids? What about space? What about school? You know, what about the crime? Like all the things that suburban people think about the city, right? And she's just going through that. But because Angie is a godly woman, even though she was not feeling it, she did not want to be led by what she was feeling, but she went to God in prayer. And because Angie is a godly woman, prayer is not just about checking a box and rubber stamping what she already wants to do, no, for her, prayer is opening her heart to God and allowing God to speak. Now, the Lord didn't open the skies and say, thou shalt come to Philadelphia. God doesn't often speak to us like that. But through prayer, God allowed Angie to get outside of herself and discern her desires a little bit more. Am I being led by fear or am I being led by faith? What, what do I think life is about? What am I seeking? What do I want my life to count for? What kind of example am I setting for my children? See, prayer often brings perspective. It helps us step back and open our hearts to God. And like the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, you know, we pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, we come to God in prayer to get perspective, to get perspective on our hearts so that he can then change our hearts. See, when we make decisions, we need to pray, and we need to be open to what God has to say. Step one, we pray. Step two, we read. Verse seven says, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and flee evil. In order to make good decisions, we can't limit ourselves to ourselves. There's information out there that is better than what we have in our own understanding. There's God's word, which is beyond our understanding. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Part of why God has given us the Bible is to show us the way we are to go. Part of how he does this is through clear commands. And again, for the clear commands in Scripture, we don't have to make decisions about them. 
We just have to obey about them. So no one needs to go home and search scriptures and pray, should I go out and get absolutely wasted tonight? Like, no, God says, do not get drunk with wine, but be in control of the spirit. God does not want us to be out of our minds. He wants to be present in our minds as Christians. That's, you know, we don't have to make a decision about that. We just have to decide, am I going to obey or not? Right? We don't have to make a decision about, does God want me to be in church for worship? God's word says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Yes, God wants you to be together with people for worship. He does. We don't have to make a decision about that. We just have to decide, are we going to obey or not? But there are things where there are not clear commands, and yet God's word still speaks. Not by explicitly telling us what to do, but rather by giving us guide rails or principles about how we should think about what we should do. Back in college, my college days, it was really popular for the, you know, really spiritual people. What they do to kind of like let God guide them in their, you know, dating process is they would, they would open the Bible, and if a person's name was on that page of Scripture, they'd be like, oh, God, you want me to date this person? And like that was like God leading them to date people. And so, you know, if you had a biblical name like Sarah or Matthew, you were in luck. You know, you got dates all the time. If you had a non-biblical name like Jeffrey, um, you know, not so much. Now, joke on them, I ended up marrying the prettiest girl in college, so, you know, um, God's ways are always better. Like, that, that, that is, you know, that's not how God speaks to us through his word, right? Here's a big theological term for if you just think you're going to open a scripture and God's going to speak to you, here's the big theological term for that, stupidity. Um, like, that, that's not how God speaks to us at all. The Bible nowhere tells us to just, to just do that, but God's word will not tell you exactly the name of the person you should date, but it'll tell you a lot about the kind of person you should date. It won't give you a name, but it will give you some character. So for example, I had a friend who started dating this girl, and when he started dating her, he totally ghosted from church. He pulled back from serving, pulled back from attending, just about everything. And so I got together with him, I'm like, what, what's going on, man? You know, like, this does not seem to be that spiritually healthy. And he's like, oh, don't worry, she really loves Jesus. You know, she has a fish on the back of her car. <laughs> and I'm like... Listen, man, I don't know what loving Jesus means to you, uh, but Luke chapter 6 says that a tree is known by its fruit, and the fruit of this relationship isn't bearing anything good. Like, you can say she loves Jesus, but her life and her influence on you is telling a different story. See, the Bible didn't say don't, you know, date this girl, whatever her name was, and I don't remember what it was. It didn't say don't date this girl, but it did say don't date someone who's going to pull you away from God. See, there's things where God does not speak explicitly, but he still speaks principally. Maybe you're thinking about pursuing another degree. Maybe you're thinking about picking up a hobby. Listen, the Bible is not going to tell you whether you should join a golf league or not. It's not. But Ephesians 5 tells us to make the best use of our time because our days are short. We live with a constant countdown clock on our lives. And so for anything we spend our time on, we should consider, is this really worth me spending the few moments that I have on earth? And so there could be many good God-honoring reasons for joining a golf league, right? This is a good use of my time in this short time God's given me on earth. I'm going to have an opportunity to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus so I can witness them. It's, it's something that I find enjoyable and restful, and so actually by doing this, it gives me more vigor in life to pursue all the other things that God's called me to be. 
Right? There could be lots of good reasons for doing it. Now, I can't think of any because I hate golf. Uh, I'm terrible at it. And uh, I can't imagine why anyone would want to do something that, you know, for me, doing golf, it's like it, I'd rather just drive needles into my eyes. But, uh, you know, I understand that some people find it enjoyable. Um, th- for me, the best part about golf is you turn it on, you can fall asleep. Because it's on for like six hours, and like, you know, who knows what happens at the end. And, and it's not like anything's like riveting happening. I mean, you're not even allowed to clap watching golf. Like, what the heck is this? You know, it's like, quiet, please. Quiet. I go to sports events to get loud. You know, but anyways, um, praise God for people who love do- golf. But, but my, my, my point, my point, my point is there can be good reasons for taking up golf as a hobby. There can be. There can be good, God-honoring reasons for taking up golf as a hobby. There can be good, God-honoring reasons for getting further education and advancing your career or using a de- certain degree to help other people. There can be many good reasons for that. But if those things come at the expense of being in fellowship, of gathering with the church, of serving the Lord, or if you have a family, prioritizing time with them, how many people spend more time getting a degree than they do with their kids? Scripture does not say anything about the degrees or hobbies that we should do, but does say many things about what should be our priorities. My grandfather graduated from Harvard with an MBA and was on a fast track to becoming CEO of a company, but that fast track was starting to come at the expense of his family. And so because he had a biblical conviction about the priority of his family, he started to make different decisions about his career that took him off the fast track but built into his kids. And I tell you what, 50 years later, where he now has grandchildren who know and love Jesus, he doesn't have millions of dollars in a company with his name on it, but he has grandkids that will be with him in heaven, and he has no regrets. See, Scripture does not explicitly speak about every decision, but does give us guidance for every decision. And so if we want to honor God in our decision-making process, that means humbly praying and asking for his help and then reading his word and seeing what his word has to say about the decision that's in front of us. We pray. We read. Step three, we talk. Leaning not on your own understanding not only means reading scripture and seeking God, but if we read scripture... What we'll see God tell us in Scripture again and again and again over 20 times in the book of Proverbs alone, something we see God say again and again and again is you need to talk to other people. Proverbs 12, verse 15, I'll just give you one example. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. This is about as anti-American as you get. We live in such an individualistic culture. I make my plans, I do my thing, I make my decisions, and people just better stay out of my business. God calls that way of thinking foolish. Why? I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm engaging with God. Why is that foolish? Listen, you might be, but here's what we need to know about ourselves. This is what else God says about us. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. You need to know something about yourself. Your heart is deceitful. Your desires will sometimes lead you astray. And you won't understand fully what's going on within your own self. And so you might be praying and reading and think you're hearing from God. But what you're hearing could just be your own desires in disguise masquerading in false spirituality. 
See, part of how we should check ourselves, part of how we should humble ourselves and open ourselves to having our motives purified and brought before the Lord is by asking other godly, wise people for their advice. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think about that? When was the last time you asked someone for their advice? When was the last time you listened to someone when they gave advice? I think sometimes you've been a Christian for a while, you know the Bible talks about getting counsel. Again, we can check the, oh, I got counsel box and still go and do our own thing. Listen, if other people's counsel is never changing your opinion, then why are you wasting their time and yours? Right? God wants us to be informed, not just by our own understanding, but to learn from other godly people who might be thinking about things and help us see things in ways we wouldn't have by ourselves. I was recently hanging out with some of the guys on our leadership team, Caleb, Joe, and Matt, and I was just so grateful in this context just to hear how much they were just asking for advice sometimes from one another. You know, and these are all super wise, very godly guys. They're all, you know, pastors or soon-to-be pastors. But none of them are like, hey, I've got this. None of them are like, hey, you don't know my life, you know, you don't know what it's like to have a child like this or to go through this or to do that, so you can't really tell me what to do. No, no, no. They were just like, hey, here's what's going on in my family. What do you think? Speak into my life. Here's this decision in front of me. What would be your counsel about that? You know, one of the guys was, was talking about a decision, and, and other guys just started to kind of help him draw out his heart. You know, is that something you're doing because Lord, you feel like the Lord's calling you to that in faith, or do you think you're just trying to take the safe route right now? You know? what do you think is going on in your heart as you're thinking about this decision? Are you trying to please people or are you trying to please God? They're just asking good questions about a decision. And I this guy was just inviting him. Thank you. I need these questions. I want these questions. How often do you let people speak into your life that way? How often do you actually listen to people who speak into your life that way? You know, I think sometimes we can't talk through things with others because the reality, having that kind of conversation requires a deep relationship and trust. And so this is why as a church, something that we care passionately about is building relationships with one another. This is why we want to encourage people, hey, you know, come early to service or stay late. Like, don't just, don't just dine and dash. Like, like, take your time. You know, building relationships take work. Sometimes people think, oh, I can just keep showing up. Like, no, no, if you're not putting the work in, you're not going to build relationships. This is why we have small groups, right? This is why we go have church picnics. This is why we encourage people to practice kitchen table fellowship, right? Just have people over to your kitchen table. Have dinner with them. Go to coffee shops with them. We need to be building relationships for, for many reasons. One of which is so that people can know us and be positioned to speak into our lives. And just one more thing on this before I move on to our final point. I think when we're getting counsel from someone, it's really important to talk to people who we might not agree with naturally. Right, now, I'm, so, so for me, like, I'm a natural risk taker. I'm a highly optimistic person. I just think things work out, so I get a vision, and I want to go for it, right? That's just kind of how I'm wired. Joe Cato is wired a little differently, if you know him. He, he's the, hey, let's sit down and think through this for years guy. Like, like we say, Joe, let's go out to lunch. Joe wants to look at every menu item on the list, and their health department record, and like, I've eaten the lunch, and I'm done the lunch, and Joe is still just trying to decide if he wants to go or not, right? Like, this is just how we function. 
We, we, we operate in life very differently. But let me tell you, I'm so grateful that Joe Cato's in my life. Like, I need his perspective. I make better decisions with him than I do without him. We come at things from very different angles, and that actually is a complementary thing that I believe leads us to make decisions in a better way. There's a story in the Old Testament where Absalom, who is King David's son, he takes over the throne, and he surrounds himself with a bunch of yes-men who basically tell him everything he already wants to hear. And he shuts out all the wiser uh, elders who are telling him challenging things. Spoiler alert, it doesn't go well for Absalom. Listen, if everyone you are talking to is agreeing with you, you're probably talking to the wrong people. If everyone you talk to thinks exactly like you do, you're probably talking to the wrong people. Now, obviously, we need to get counsel from people who agree with us on a Christian worldview, right? Like, we need that as a fundamental starting place, right? Um, but we should be willing to be challenged by other Christians. And this, again, is just so countercultural, isn't it? Our culture tells us that we can only receive from people who've gone through what we do, who have our, you know, pop phrase, lived experience. Now listen, it can be helpful to have people who understand what you're going through. It can be helpful to do that, absolutely. But let's remember, as Christians, we follow a guy who was single with no kids and had no problem giving marriage and parenting advice. If we are discounting people who are sharing God's word with us because they can't directly relate to us, we're elevating our lived experiences over God's truth. We are making our personal experiences and a person's ability to relate to us more important than the timeless, inerrant, authoritative word of God. And let me just be honest with you, that's sin. I'm so grateful for the people in my life who speak into my life who can't relate to my life at all. Like, it's helpful for me to have people who can relate to my life. I'm grateful for the pastors who know me well. I'm grateful for people who are married who know me well. I'm grateful for people who have, you know, the same chronic illness that I do, Crohn's disease. I'm grateful for that support group. It's helpful to have people who do have my same lived experiences, but it's also helpful for me to relate to people who are not pastors, who are not married, and have never been sick a day in their life. They give me a perspective that I desperately need. Because the truth of the message is not dependent on the experiences of the messenger. God's word is truth, regardless of who is bringing it. And so we need to talk to people who might be coming from a different perspective than we are. Get counsel. Talk. Work through things. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 14 says, In an abundance of counselors, there's safety. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to have safety. Not making decisions based on our own thinking. But making decisions with the collective wisdom of a community. There's a safety in that. There's a goodness in that. Let me risk offending everyone in the room. How are you making decisions about what you should and shouldn't do regarding COVID-19? If you've been on the more free side of things, you should talk to someone who's godly that you trust and who's being more cautious and ask them why they're being more cautious. And if you've been on the more cautious side of things, you should talk to someone who's godly and you trust, who's more free, and ask them why they're not as concerned about taking those precautions that you feel like your life is depending on. 
like we can judge people for making different decisions or we can try to learn from people who are making different decisions. Wherever you are on that spectrum, we should be able to come together and actually learn from one another. We might not end up making the same decision, but I guarantee you, if you have a conversation with someone, you'll end up thinking about it better. That's been one of my concerns, is people are just getting caught in the echo chamber of what they already think. And so they're talking to people, but they're talking to people who are already doing exactly everything they're doing. And so guess what? They're not going to tell you anything different. Talk to someone who's doing things differently, and don't assume they're just not thinking. Don't assume that someone who's being more cautious is just being a government sheep. And don't assume that someone who's being more free doesn't think COVID exists. Assume they're actually godly people who are thinking through things in a way trying to honor the Lord and have a conversation with them. You, you might not be fully persuaded. You might still might see things in a different way. But I guarantee you that your perspective will be sharpened by that conversation. We need to pray. We need to read. We need to talk. We need to talk. And then finally, we need to trust. We need to trust. You know, we've been focused here on talking about the things we should do to make God-honoring decision. But let's close by being, you know, very, very clear on this. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all things we do, God is ultimately the one who's to be our trust. Why is he our trust? Because verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your path. Friends, here's what we need to do, understand. Our God is sovereign. What that means is that he is sitting on the throne of heaven, ruling and reigning in control of all things at all times. And so we're responsible for making decisions. But at the end of the day, it's God who's directing our steps. We're responsible to make decisions in a way that honors God. But at the end of the day, it is God who is carving out our paths. Our confidence, friends, is not that we're going to get every decision right. Our confidence is that God's going to get us where he wants us to go. We don't trust our decision-making process. We trust the one who's given us this process. We, we trust the God who's loved us so much that he came and lived the life we could not live. He came and died the death that we deserve on the cross. We're trusting the one whose back was laid bare for us. We're trusting the one whose shoulders bore the cross for us. We're trusting the one whose hands were nailed to that piece of wood for us. We're trusting the one who experienced the hellfire wrath of God for our sins on that cursed tree. We're trusting the one who then rose again from the grave to prove that he is truly God. We're trusting Jesus. And when we trust Jesus, we might make some mistakes. We can know that we've already gone in the process. We don't have to have any regrets. Because we took care of our responsibility. And God has directed our steps. When Angie and I first got married, about a year and a half into our marriage, we decided to buy a house. It's ended, ended up being a really bad decision. Because <laughs> about two years after that, God called us to come start this church in Philadelphia. And so we had to sell our house. And so we bought it in a high market and we sold it in a down market. And all the money that I had saved up 
we lost. It ended up being a really bad decision. But I'll be honest, we had no regrets about it. Because when we made that decision, we had prayed, we had read scripture, said, okay, this is a wise investment. Right? The Bible talks about making good investments. We had gotten counsel from other people. You know, church planning wasn't on the horizon at that point. We talked to a lot of other people. And so we'd taken the steps. We feel like we'd honored God in making the decision. And so even though the decision ended up being a mistake, well, we'd honored God in the process, but he had directed our paths. And so there's no regrets. There's no regrets because we are not trying to put our trust in making every right decision. We're trying to put our trust in the Lord. We need to be faithful to have a process that honors him. And then we need to trust him for that, whatever happens. Even if we do have a process that honors him, that does not mean <laughs> that every decision is going to go how we think it should or how we want it. But it does mean that if we believe that we've honored God in the process, then we can trust him for whatever is the result. And maybe right now you're like, man, I made a lot of bad decisions, and none of them made bad decisions, but <laughs> I didn't honor God in the process at all. I made, the I made a bad decision, and I made it in a bad way. Friends, you need to know as well, you today can also trust God. God can work through even our sin, which is not an excuse to sin. We don't sin that grace may abound, Romans chapter 6. We don't do that. But you need to know that even if you made a sinful decision, God can work redemption even through things that we do regret. Joseph's brothers in the book of Genesis sold him into slavery. I think that was a sinful decision. But that sinful decision lead, ended up leading to Joseph through all kinds of situations becoming second in power in Egypt storing up food from which his family, the very people who had sold him to slavery, were able to then come and have and not die from starvation. God worked redemption even through their sin. And so if you're here today and you feel like, man, I, I have blown it, I made decisions that don't honor God, they have been mistakes, listen, you can't go back and change your decisions. But you can choose today to trust God. You can choose today to start making decisions in a different way. Start saying, Lord, I do want to make decisions in a way that honors you. I do want to repent of these sinful ways that I've been led by my own desires. I've been led by my own heart. Sinful way I've made decisions just based on my own echo chambers of my own mind. I want to make decisions in ways that honor you. And then I want to trust you for whatever the results are. And I want to trust you for every decision I've made in the past. Friends, this is how God wants to work in our decision making. He wants to lead us in a way positions our hearts to honor him in the process and then to trust him for all the results. And so Christ Church, may we be a church that lives in such a way. Because when we make decisions in this way, when we honor God in the process and then trust him for the results, friends, this is how we can live, not without making mistakes, but this is how we can live without having regrets. Because we're trusting that the Lord is guiding our path. So may we make decisions in a way that honors Him and in a way that trusts Him. Let's pray.